spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to Small Market Bias, a podcast about the San Antonio Spurs. And my name is Matthew Tynan. Joining me today is a man who may have become Julian Champagny's biggest fan and biggest admirer, Bruno Passos of Pounding the Rock. How are you doing today, man? Good, thanks. I'm unofficially the, the Brian Windhorse to his LeBron James right now. You, you have to break that to him later. but I mean, I think everyone in the business has to start there, right? NBA player, uh, you know, basketball writer, Julian Champagny, maybe one day hopes, well, you talk to him one-on-one at media day, but maybe he hopes to be LeBron James. And maybe if that escalates to that point, you know, maybe you could be the next Wendy. Uh, yeah, those weren't quite the aspirations he, he labeled or set out uh, a few days ago, but uh, no, definitely worse places to start out than, uh, you know, what could be a, a rotation player on a, on a fun Spurs team. Well, we'll get to that actually in a second. But first, I have a question for you. It's an email I got today. Oh, yeah? This, this, these odds, whenever they come out, always make me kind of laugh, but also kind of cringe a little bit because it's uncomfortable. And that is first NBA head coach fired. Bruno, do you have a guess? Do you have a guess of... Who is on the hottest seats in the NBA at this very moment? Or like, you know, maybe someone in the top five, something like that. Because off the top of my head, I don't think I would have gotten the uh, the leader in the if you want to call it the leader in the clubhouse. I don't think I would have gotten him with this question, but I will turn it over to you. What what say you after I've filibustered for not not very long? So I'm still putting you on the spot. Yeah, just enough to buy me some time, and uh, I'll buy myself some more time by saying it's 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 a tough question because there there's I feel like there has been like at least the last year or two a lot of turnover, um, where we had um, you know some familiar faces move around like obviously, uh, uh, Monty Williams, uh, Nick Nurse, a lot of these guys uh, t- taken moved to new spots so you can kind of move them off. Uh, they were previously, uh, but. Um, I guess my mind first gravitates towards a team that's um, had a coach that's been there for a while, um, haven't yet met, met expectations, and they're going to have to do some sort of shakeup. And coaches, you know, normally one of the first to go. So I'll go with Chicago Bulls and B- Billy Donovan. Imagine you he's got it. up there somewhere. You got it. I don't believe right. you that, that you weren't swear looking I it up, but. <laughs> But yes, I swear. Look, no, I, there aren't that many because there, there aren't that many coaches that have been around for like two or three years now. They, no, they, you're they, right. They've all moved around. You're right. The, there right. are. I mean, it was literally like four or five guys that have remained with their team since I think 2020. I mean, like you're right. The, the turnover has been insane. Billy Donovan. I mean, it, it's it. 
speaks for itself. Everything that's happened in Chicago, they've had tremendously bad luck, but there's also been sort of questionable moves, signings, um, cap management stuff hasn't been great. I don't, I wouldn't yeah. say that the, the draft has, has, has gone particularly well for them. The, the, the Vucevic trade kind of killed them in all in terms of all the assets they gave up. So yeah, old Billy Donovan, I kind of, it's weird. Like I, I almost forget that he's in Chicago sometimes, yeah. but uh, but yeah, he's he's four to one to be the first head coach fired. Steve Ooh. Clifford is five to one. He's number two. That was, that was which, my other guess. That's it's other a guess. good, it's a good one. It's also like holy crap, yeah. dude! That guy's got a really difficult <laughs> proposition two, two guys, in front of him. Two guys not set up for success for no. sure. But yeah, no, they're they're they've you know they've been there for more than one year, so they they're they're on the clock. On the block, on the chopping block, man. You get that yeah. one year out of the way, all bets are off. Uh, and then number three is Chris Finch, six to one. Maybe, Ooh. maybe a little surprising, but like if Minnesota has a crappy start again, things yeah. don't click with with you know Rudy and Cat in the front court again. Another example of like the front office has done some things here. Yeah, Cat and Anthony Edwards, obviously, and there is other talent on the team, obviously, but like you, you have a a strong pairing there. But <laughs> bringing Gobert into the mix is a big one. Um, Wes Unseld is number four at seven to one, which I don't know. They're they've basically gone in the tank, so I don't know exactly what he'd have to do to get fired. He's one of those guys where. He's one of those guys where you could see him being a lame duck coach, right? Like he lasts the whole year, but at the end, just yeah. as the Wizards are getting into the the higher end of the of the draft, like they're like, okay, we gotta get we gotta get rid of you, like Steven Silas. Yeah, I was gonna style. say it would have it have to be like a Steven Silas situation where there's just kind of clear mismanagement of of assets of 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 style and and and, and all of that, in spite of whatever actually is happening in the wins column. Yeah. And this one, I, I, I think is surprising to me. Actually, kind of the rest of in this, the 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 names that round out the top ten, some of them definitely surprise me. But number five at eight to one is Jason Kidd. I guess if they suck again, uh, and they and they suck early, then I could definitely see that. Dallas tends to be very loyal and patient with this stuff. They don't like to fire. They're coaches, so that's the only element here that is, I don't know, kind of turns me off of that one. Um, but then number six, Ty Lue, 10 to 1. Then Tom Thibodeau, 11 to 1. Then Chauncey Billups, 12 to 1. Then Willie Green, 14 to 1, which I guess, man, if they have another, if like if Zion goes down again, um, that's going to be, that's going to be one to watch for sure. But anyway, I... I never like talking like right off the bat. Everyone's optimistic. It's it's media day. Everyone's excited for basketball to be back. And then boom, the odds hit. Which coach is gone first? So kind of funny, kind of not, but nevertheless entertaining in some capacity. Basketball is here, but Bruno, I just wanted to remind you, football is back and bet online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info 
with all the up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and the Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. And remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, I wanted to get uh, to your conversation with Julian Champagne. And by the way, uh, you can go read Bruno's article on... Mr. Champagne at poundingtherock.com. It's a solid website, solid article, informative, good, good stuff from Julian, who at least in his early time in San Antonio, wasn't the most talkative dude, but you, you got some, you got some good little bits, bits from the guy. So what did you learn? How did he seem heading into this training camp? A lot of bodies on this team. It might be tricky at times to get, uh, I don't know, minutes. <laughs> They're like 15 deep at this point. So, what did you what did you think of of the way he was handling the situation coming into his first full season as a Spur? Um, yeah, no, it was great. Uh, great chat with him. Always appreciative of when players take the time out for these. Um, can always get a little bit deeper into, you know, who they are, what their, where their mind is at, especially right now heading into the season. And um, yeah, I think what one word that really stood out when just asking how he felt coming into this season after um, last season, where he, he started on the Sixers, went undrafted, signed as a two way waved, hopped on the Spurs, and then just kind of really, I think pretty fortunate to um, end up on a team where there was opportunity for minutes at the end of the season. And he, he clearly took advantage. So Followed that up with a positive uh, summer league, especially in California, where I think he really um, caught a lot of people's eyes. But uh, no, the key word he sort of said was was feeling comfortable, um, and he, he was sure to say that. And um, I think he's even said that in, in a previous um, interview was 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 just that that level of comfort within the system, within the city, um, around a bunch of players, where he's sort of built that camaraderie and that chemistry, and um, with the coaching staff that knows where his strengths are. And, and he talked about that as well, which is, you know, um, moving without the ball, making quick decisions and, and, and shooting three pointers. Um, something that he did very well uh, last season at. I think he shot um, over 40 percent. And uh, I think having those sort of bona fide skills is really important on a, on a team that's quite young and trying to straddle, you know, still developing, but also trying to win uh, a little bit more this year, which is something that Pop said. And it's, it's not likely that he's probably going to hit whatever his averages were last season as a spur, which I think was maybe even a double digit scoring. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think his mindset right now is, is earning that um, rotation spot and seems, you know, like you said, it's, it's, it's a loaded roster. A lot of young guys like him, but um, having recently um, gotten re-signed uh, over the summer, you'd think that that investment bodes well for him. And uh, again, this is a team that's not exactly robust in the way of shooting. Um, and, and it's important no. to have guys who, can do less, um, command less of, of the ball and still um, 
you know, have that role in the offense. And, and given his size, six, like, you know, being a 6'8", 6'9", wing, it makes it that much easier to sort of slot him in at different positions. So um, it, it's, it's looking, it's, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how things play out in, in training camp and, and preseason and um, where we sort of see where Pop's mind is at with rotations. But, no, great talk, great talk with him. I recommend, like you said, people read the piece to just kind of get a bit of a feel for him in a way that maybe some people haven't yet. But uh, it'll be interesting to see, and I, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if he ends up uh, – somewhere in the rotation, given, again, those strengths um, and uh, the ability to play and, and, and excel in a sort of a low usage capacity. You know, one of the things that he's said since day one, really, coming to San Antonio last year, and it was also reflected in your piece and, and some of what you just said, he is very comfortable with who he is. Like, he has this idea of what works for him, what his coaches have, you know, basically told him works for him. He's, he's a guy who wants to fit in and do whatever is necessary for the team that he's on. And going back to his college days, a lot of those strengths were shooting the ball off movement and cutting. And those are two skills that he honed as is a is an older guy a guy who kind of who really did have to work his way up to get where he is and landing in San Antonio and you can speak a little bit more on this because i i i know that you talked to him about you know being able to commit to a role and knowing that's kind of where his bread is buttered but he has fit that role to a T He's done everything the Spurs asked for him, and it just seemed to click really quickly. So it'll be interesting to see how, as he grows more familiar and more comfortable, and it'll it'll be interesting to see how his skill set improves and how it'll if if it will be able to flourish even further the more time he spends with Popovich, with the system, with the rest of these guys. For sure, and and like you said, in college, this is he's not fundamentally changing who he was in college. It's just maybe at a lower volume, but some players, they, 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 they hold the ball more in, in, in college and have a different role. And they sort of have to adjust when they, when they're not necessarily the big dog on, on, on a, on a roster, but him playing off ball, uh, uh, excelling at cuts, being that, um, that floor spacer and, and, and shooting, whether it's off movement or just getting open uh, and playing off ball. Like that's, that's all that, all the stuff that he's still continuing to do here in the NBA. So that, that suits him well. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, again, should, should be really inter- interesting to see as, as the year gets underway. The whole, <laughs> the whole rotation situation is going to be interesting. I mean, we talk a little bit about how deep they are. You said loaded, and I know people are going to hear that word and be like, no, this, this isn't the, like, the deepest team talent-wise, but they do have a lot of legitimate NBA players, guys who can play some who are veterans and we we know what they can do we know how they can contribute what their sort of skill set is and then we have this whole uh, group of guys that the Spurs are going to be trying to figure out along the way so there are some serious dynamics at play and i think n- none more significant or at least n- there hasn't been one that's gotten as much attention as the starting lineup conversation. I know that we were all at media day trying to like pick at morsels, trying to ask questions a certain type of way to see if we can get it out of somebody trying to kind of ask about players strengths, what they're comfortable doing. It, it's it been kind of a game for the last few days. And 
I've been going back and forth on either B, they know they have a good idea of what the starting lineup is going to be. And they're just kind of screwing with us. They don't want to reveal things. They're not, maybe not totally sure, but they don't want to spill the beans. Or B, did I say A first? I think I said A. So then, so B. No, you, you start. You start. You, you started with B, and, and I definitely caught that. I started I with B. And flip it with A. You okay. started with B. So yeah, a, and I, I thought it was so kind of cool. A, or A, yeah, B or A. Sure. I did it. I did it on purpose. So A. I like it. They don't know at all. Like they legitimately don't know. I don't. I wouldn't. I think that there is some inkling of a plan, but I could also see that too, simply based on the fact that what they're experiencing right now, getting Wembenyama in the gym for the first time, formally with the coaching staff. You know, they've these guys have been able to observe all summer, but they're not legally allowed to the coaches are not legally allowed to participate or run a practice. So this is their first opportunity to do that. So I, I can see them not being sure, but in your mind, do you, do you think Bruno, do you think it's B or a, if that's uh, B, not confusing a, enough. Uh, is there a third option? Cause what do you, where do you go from there? Um, hey, give me one, give me one. It could well, and it no, could be I'm, it could I'm, be I'm, it could be Z. I'm at alphabet. I'm at alphabetically. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I mean I think those are the main two, and uh, it's it's yeah, it, it's interesting. There, there's there's been breadcrumbs that I feel like do point in 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 a direction, but we don't. But that's it, yeah, you're gonna have to work backwards from when we actually learn it. I think because, like you said, Jeremy was 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 asked around um, you know a few different things, but primarily around uh, his comfort level with playing the one. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, Point Sohan was obviously an experiment last year, but I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a loaded topic because it was a, a very tank friendly, but also developmentally friendly, um, you know, gambit that Pop did um, when he right. rolled it out. It was, it was, it was also uh, circumstantial because there was times when I think certain players weren't um, available. Well, his first like official start at point guard was in November against the Warriors when Trey Jones had, I think food poisoning or something. Yeah. And they threw him in against one of the, one of the most difficult teams in the league to navigate. So yeah, that it, you're right. It, um, it came at kind of odd times. Yeah. And this is an aside, but I, I, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Harry Maguire of a, a soccer player in the, in the UK. And, and I, I mean, I know who he is, but like my familiarity with him is not, I, I'm not, maybe, I'm not super familiar. Maybe the most heavily memed soccer player, unfortunate, unfortunate for him. But um, the, really, the, the, yeah. The show, so he's like on the English national team, plays for Manchester United. It's a really high profile, very expensive signing. Uh, I think he plays center back or def- you know, somewhere somewhere on the defensive line. Famous sometimes for trying too hard as a, as a defense defensive player of you know pushing the ball or, or maybe sure. too risky sure. of a pass, sort of falling on his face as a result, getting memed heavily because it, it, it leads to something disastrous for his team, whether it's, you know, an own, own goal or um, setting the, 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 the opponent up for um, just a really high percentage uh, look at the goal. So plenty of those on Instagram, very funny, worth, worth, worth diving into. But that's sort of what I think about when I think about, you know, the, a player of, 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 of Jeremy's profile where it's, it's somebody who's not a typical point guard they're they're a little bit bigger just like uh harry Maguire is and, and the, the results are sometimes a little bit comical because he's doesn't have you know your typical point guard wiggle 
Um, he's not um, going to create advantages naturally. And it seems like it's, it sounds like the Spurs are sort of prepared to, you know, in, in some way or another, just like they did last year, play through those bumps and, and, mm-hmm. and see it play out. We don't know if that's going to be in the starting lineup or not, but that's something we saw last year where we saw, um, you know, the Spurs like, uh, like what they see in his potential as, as somebody who can pass, see the floor, obviously his size plays into it. And just, I think you, you need players who are willing to take chances like that. And, and um, you know, a combination of, of, of intellect and will and size is great. You know, you need a bit more, but um, that's, that's a good starting spot. But um, he, he had a he had a quote that really fits along with everything you just said. He had a quote on Media Day that was, um, let me find it real quick. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Quote, I think I would be comfortable playing the one. I think it will be an experiment. Like there are going to be days where it looks beautiful. And then there will be days where it'll be like, ah, I don't know about that. And it, <laughs> so, I mean, he's ba- he's basically in one sentence describing everything that you just did. Yeah, and, and everything and, about Harry and, Maguire, and, and and I think Jeremy will know about Harry Jeremy Maguire or uh, uh, Harry Maguire just with his. You can start calling him Jerry Magu- Jer- Jeremy Maguire. Jeremy Maguire, if that name's taken. Um, but yeah, and so what did what did you think about? Because this stood out to me was not not one. Um, I think it was one of our friends at the Express News who posed the question to him, and and I I I, I think that their their slant on questions is sometimes not purely out of the blue, but well-informed questions uh, at times. Uh, so the fact that they pose the question as a hypothetical is, is, is sometimes one thing to me as, as, as a clue in of itself, but also um, they pose as a hypothetical to Jeremy of, you know, how would you feel uh, playing the one? And Jeremy's answer wasn't short or um, sort of caught off guard, but it's, it felt like a, a very comprehensive answer to a hypothetical with, like you said about, you know, when, if this were to happen and we'll see, but it'll be, you know, it'll be a bit of a mixed bag. It's, it seems like um, he's got something of an idea that this, such a thing may be asked of him um, already. Oh, it's, it's going to happen. Like we are going to see Jeremy playing the one or initiating offense. I'm just not sure what that setting is going to be. And we've actually Mm -hmm. had, that the discussion before about like okay yes Sohan in the starting lineup he if, if he's the starter if, if he's named the starter regardless of position he doesn't really he's kind of a a hybrid type of player anyway so whatever you want to call him just like whatever you want to call Wimby he's he can do a little bit of everything and for the starting lineup he can maybe do some of the messy stuff that other guys aren't necessarily going to do he can be a valuable perimeter defender, even even considering like Wemby and potentially Zach Collins are both back there. So the responsibilities aren't going to be as significant. But like all of the little stuff that he does that are so unique to him would obviously help the starting lineup. But when it comes to spacing, if you look, especially if Zach Collins is starting, a front court of Collins, Wembenyama, and and Sohan, like there might be some spacing issues there, especially if Wemby is still getting into his three point shot, which he hasn't shown yet in his in his brief professional career that that's something he can hit consistently. Granted, a lot of the attempts that he took in France were very YOLO, like I'm gonna kind of do I'm gonna do whatever I want. They were far from efficient, 
and he's going to have a lot better looks. It's going to be, you know, play designs and set designs are going to be, uh, are going to uh, offer him the opportunity for more efficient looks, all of this stuff. But Jeremy is still, he might muck things up a little bit because given his tendency to cut, to want to crash the glass, to do all these little things, there were a lot of times where he got better at it as the year went on, obviously, but there were a lot of times where he kind of got in the way of plays. He would, guys would run into him as he's trying to cut, kind of almost screening them off from being able to penetrate. Spacing just lacked. So there, there are some definite question marks and I do think it's worth asking. What if you had a more traditionally spaced uh, lineup with, more defined roles around Wembenyama in the starting lineup. So as we're talking about here, Trey Jones is a lead guard, and actually we'll get to something Trey said in a second, but Trey Jones is lead guard, Devin as the two, Keldon is the three, however you want to, you know, distinguish those two. And then, you know, Wemby and Zach Collins in the front court. Like there's spacing there, especially if Keldon's, three-pointer comes back even even like halfway even if it gets back to like 36 37 percent something like that like that's a legitimate threat to shoot and plus you just know that guy's going to be shooting anyway you he's not going to be afraid to to pull from deep if he's open and teams are going to have to respect it until he's not hitting shots but regardless there's sort of the more traditional look some more spacing more defined roles and if you move Jeremy to the bench, you kind of give him this you give him more agency to do the things he does well. Granted, who knows how impactful he'll be with the lesser players on the roster and if he's truly put in charge of initiating offense, running an offense, it, he it, it I guess it would give him that chance to experiment without sacrificing the growth of other players in that starting lineup and kind of let the second unit just run, run, run against, you know, obviously if you're playing bench, if you're playing against bench units, it's going to, the competition's going to be lesser. Uh, um, I don't know. It just, it seems like he could be a wild card in that, obviously a wild card in either lineup, but coming off the bench, it seems to me he could have more agency, more freedom to, take advantage of his strengths and do the things that he, that he's most effective at without getting in anyone's way. Yeah. He's, he's not, he's not taken by, by not starting him. You're, you're not immediately handing something over to the defense, right? Which is you can lean off, you can play off of this guy. uh, You can go under every screen or switch. Um, It's, it's really not gonna, you know, you're not playing with a, a, you know, at at an immediate disadvantage. Right. Um, It is interesting because, you know, you, Told told us a year ago that this is sort of the trajectory that Jeremy would be going on. It I think it would be a little surprising, and would may not have sounded like a, the optimal use of him at the time. And we thought of him more as, you know, a Draymond, Aaron Gordon approximation of some kind. Uh, but if right, you could direct- see the whole point forward thing, but like straight up lead guard yeah, or lead forward, yeah. like that was a maybe a bridge too far. But yeah, as you just mentioned, I mean, Pop said it a year ago almost he he called him a point guard and it i remember kind of rate like kind of cocking my head a little bit raising my eyebrow uh, eyebrows a little bit like it was 
kind of crazy hearing him say that about a guy who was who had been an NBA player for like at that point, like maybe a month and a half or something. But yeah. he said it. And and let kudos to Jeremy for like the the humility he's shown up until like already in this career. Like not only with um, you know, like the quote you just said where he 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 flat out admits, you know, you're gonna have some uh some nights where things just look, you know, you know, they go pear shaped and they don't look right. But also, you know, the, the willingness to, you know, shoot one-handed free throws, like that's yeah, of course. something that I think a lot of guys would be prideful of, of, of just choosing not to do. Um, and if this is something that happens where he's willing to take that, um, you know, you don't want to say relegation or demotion, but, you know, a, a, a different role than your average um, lottery pick uh, mm-hmm. might, might, might do in year two, then um, it would just be another example of um, an extremely high character player. Um, well, and, I, and it's sorry to interrupt you, but like, and, and not just the lottery thing, but like coming in and was a starter immediately as a yeah. rookie and, and t- taking a step back with that, uh, from that would certainly take some humility. But as you said, he's, he's shown it. Sorry, I interrupted you though. All good. No, last thing I'll say, because I think, um, it's probably a better analog than Harry Maguire, um, is, uh, in, in Toronto, like we like we're seeing the the Scotty Barnes experiment a similar experiment playing out with Scotty Barnes and it uh it it sounds like it sounds like that's um gonna con- they're gonna continue to lean into it in year two um to I think some criticism thus far as far as like you know how it's played out and it's similar to Jeremy you know what what limitations there might be in in, in playing that style and, put, and putting a natural player with the ball heavily who is not gonna immediately create advantages. Um, either through the pick and roll or just off the dribble or, or pulling up just a lot a lot of similarities there uh, so it'll be interesting to sort of track how it happens in, in, in both environments um, given they're not the same player but I don't know they're, they're, there's 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 similarities in, 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 in their in their strengths and weaknesses I think I've been I've been threatening to write the uh, Jeremy Sohan has just as much potential as Scotty Barnes article for a while now so we'll have to see it's, if we'll it's see it's dangling there it's, it's just you just gotta wait till Toronto fans are at their most um, uh, delicate and, and oh, they're in a delicate and, spot and, uh, right now, man. <laughs> we could be we could be hitting the apex for sure, but yeah. Well, I, I want to get back to Trey Jones and just kind of continue this conversation a little bit because, like, after so I, I do want to be clear on something because this has gone around for a couple of years now and like they just said it all these guys said it during media day that like all these different players are going to be able to bring the ball up the floor they're going to push the pace run the ball multiple ball handlers all this stuff they said the same stuff last year and yes obviously there were plenty of times where you know Jeremy or Devin or Keldon or whomever you know got the ball and ran with it but when Trey Jones was on the floor and the offense was getting into its sets like it was his show pretty pretty clearly and so I hear them saying a lot of the same stuff like I said that they mentioned last year and I don't necessarily take all that stuff to mean like you know we're gonna see a whole bunch more of Jeremy Sohan playing point guard than you saw last year or or Devin or Keldon or even Victor was he made a comment that like he's been put in positions where he's had to do the stuff that Trey Jones does, but he's also been in positions to have to do some of the stuff that Zach Collins does. So like, I do believe that they're really spreading the ball around and giving these guys different assignments and and roles. So they understand what each other is doing 
But eventually those roles are going to be ironed out a little bit and things are going to sort of settle in. And I wanted to just read this quote from Trey Jones on uh, on Tuesday, which was the first day of training camp. He said, quote, obviously we talk about Obviously, we talk about the game going kind of positionless, but I think the point guard position is always going to be important. Um, it continues, quote, so I'm just trying to be an extension of coach on the court, just knowing what he wants and trying to get all the guys in their spots and just setting everybody up. That's what he did last year, and he did it very efficiently. Trey Jones has his drawbacks. There's no question. He has his weaknesses, but you can't really argue with the fact that he was able to get guys in their spots more efficiently. I mean, Keldon was better when Trey Jones was on the floor. Devin was better when Trey Jones was on the floor. It can kind of go up and down. Like when you look at a lot of the, the catch all data and the, uh, you know, different plus minus data, he is always right at or near the top of the list when it comes to positive impacts on the team. So he's going to play. It, I've also mentioned it before. I think I've mentioned it on the pod. If not, I've written about it. I don't remember anymore. I haven't even been podcasting that long, and I can't remember uh, where I said what. So I I think I'm really fight, you know, fitting right in to the podcasting community. But I I just I think that if Trey Jones is coming off the bench, it's going to make for some really funky rotations, especially if you're wanting to play these young guys. But if if Trey Jones is in the starting lineup, it sort of makes things easier in terms of streamlining your rotations, I think. Because if he's coming off the bench, you're talking about three different, you know, quote unquote point guards or more traditional point guards in uh Trey Jones, Blake Wesley, and Devontae Graham. And I know, you know, I know Devontae is not exactly a traditional point guard. We don't know really what Blake Wesley is at this point, but they are more of the point guard roles. You don't want them. Maybe Blake a little bit could. They're small. Dudes, they're small. They're small <laughs> guys. They're small. They're small. Yeah. Smalls. So yeah, I just think that if, if Trey Jones isn't in the starting lineup, it could uh, defensively, it could be incredible to see a giant lineup, the, the giant lineup that they could throw on the floor. But offensively, I do think it would, I, think that they would struggle right out of the gates and probably just whether it would cause frustration. I don't want to say like dysfunction, but the offense might not function (laughs) very well at first. It just, as long as we've looked at this entire situation, it just becomes more difficult to see them sitting Trey considering Considering how his teammates talk about him, considering how his coaches talk about him, considering just the obviously like the empirical data that shows that they were flatly better when he was on the court last year, like arguably their most important player. So it it's I don't know if Trey Jones is like the long term answer at point guard. And I think a lot of people get hung up on that. Like they want they want to see their their point guard of the future. They want to see their guy playing, but right now that might just be Trey Jones and talking to him. And of course these guys are going to be confident in everything that they do, but he said that he feels great about his three pointer. Jimmy Barron, their new shooting coach has been in here with everybody uh, working through this stuff. So maybe there will be another jump. If there is, it would be, 
it would be critical uh, and very helpful for his uh, in terms of his effectiveness. But anyway, that's just when I hear him talk like that, because Trey Jones doesn't doesn't really it, it almost felt like he reached in because he's heard some of the conversation about like you don't need the 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 lead guard anymore. It's almost like he reached back and kind of pulled that quote <laughs> quote out um, because he's heard some of that talk before and he wants to, you know, gently tuck it away to bed, not like forcefully come out and, and say something. But anyway, I thought that comment was interesting. It, it is. And he's, he's normally um, a little bit more, um, doesn't necessarily go out of his way to, 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 to throw out a quote, right? He's, he, he just kind of goes with the flow, but felt like a statement sort of quote from him in yeah. a way. Um, as much think, of a quote from Trey Jones can sound like a statement, like yeah, it's, as much uh, as it could. Uh, uh, it's a take, not, not more than a take. Uh, but you know, it's it, and those are all great points. Um, you know, and and we don't know exactly how how Devonte Graham or uh, Blake Wesley fit into the long term picture either. But it definitely sounds like this. It Trey is as capable um, as. Um, natural uh a fit for it um as as anybody going into this year and and when you say the the examples that uh victor used of you know sometimes i'm going to play like zach sometimes i'll play like trey it sounds like he's he's kind of talking about his his starting center and his starting point guard uh so again we're, we're reading the tea leaves here um but it's extreme reading of the tea leaves but that's kind of it's, it's kind of been the fun part and that's why i asked you the b or a question <laughs> Are they, yeah. are they, are they bleeping with us or do they know? Yeah. Or do could they be, not it know? Be, it could be B, Jeremy, it could be A, Trey, it could be uh, three, somebody else. Uh, but it'll be, you know, one of those, one of those four choices. So what's your, the, the, the scrimmage is Saturday. I have no idea if that's going to, the, sorry, the black and silver scrimmage, the annual event that actually hasn't happened in a couple of years now, COVID and then. Last year they went yeah. to Uvalde instead. Yeah, the, well, um, they're, they 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 from what I understand, there's a, essentially a, a community event that um, yep. kicks off each season. So Uvalde superseded that for for good reason uh, right. last year, and um, yeah, silver and black scrimmages yeah. is is back this year. Yeah, they've they've always done the they've always had sort of a community event to like welcome everyone back get everyone you know on board in the building all this stuff and for um i don't remember if they did it during COVID. i guess is why i was was asking that i don't remember if those doors were open i kind of doubt they were at least in 2021 but anyway it's a really fun event the black and silver scrimmage if you've never been to it i highly recommend it it's cool they it's a it's it's not even like a they they put 10 minutes for each quarter on the clock they play pop does some kind of coaching you know coaching in the middle of it they have fun with everybody um admission is free this year i don't know man i are like that building could be could be quote unquote sold out i kind of doubt it but um i don't know maybe maybe the hype is just real enough to where you know, 18,000 people or whatever went and, and found their tickets online. Cause I've uh, gotten a whole bunch of text messages and DMS from people who have said they're going. 
uh, also uh, topical related to the subject of starting lineup. Very uh, good for, um, you know, tea leaves again, reading into starting lineup entry because uh, more often than not, you will see, uh, you know, whoever the silver and black teams are, you'll see one of them being that, um, uh, you know, theoretical starting five for opening day. So well, again, we'll, see, we'll, we'll see if that's definitely the case. They probably won't admit to it, but, you know, see who, see who shows up on, on one side versus the other. They'll mix it up as the, as the, scrimmage goes along but who starts things out on uh in one color versus the other uh, could 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 be a starting five could 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 not be it, it it's going to give people ammunition on either side of the aisle like it's it's people are going to hyper analyze the hell out of the two different starting lineups on the court that night so we shall see i think it'll be a lot of fun and on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about the guy who we've mentioned a couple times in this pod, but who just got, he just got the bag, and that's Devin Vassell. We'll be back in a second. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. And we're back. Aside from all the media day stuff and the starting lineup stuff and the obvious and we haven't even talked that much about Victor Wimbanyama I just figure we're going to be talking so much about him this season that we'll (laughs) we'll have plenty of time to get to him like we'll get around we'll get around him at some point at some point I'm sure uh like I I just I tweeted out a little while ago a video that that the Spurs put in their um media content folder and it's just a you know, a, a simple looking wide pin down is what it looks like. It's kind of hard to tell exactly where they are on the court, but it's the kind of stuff that you see a lot from like Kevin Durant, a guy setting the pin down. He pops up toward the top of the key free throw line area, wherever he was on the court. You can't really see their feet in the video. So, but he just catches, rises up. Zach Collins had to fight. a Zach Collins, seven footer, had to chase him around a screen and then contest. And he wasn't even anywhere close to the ball. And Wemby just dropped it straight through the hoop. It looked so easy. And my God, I think like the pressure stuff like that is going to put on a defense when a seven, five guy who's likely going to be guarded by other bigs because smalls are not going to be able to challenge his shot at all bigs are suddenly going to have to learn to navigate screens on the perimeter or if they switch it's going to be a mismatch from hell on both on both sides of the coin i don't know there's going to be so much fun stuff to talk about with this guy i can't i can't i can't wait to after last season which i actually enjoyed um just in terms of like getting i did i i got, i enjoyed it in terms of like getting to know these people and uh and kind of seeing them fight through this stuff. But I hardly ever like really broke down basketball last season because like, what was the point <laughs> when, when there was no consistency in the rotations, it, nothing was normal. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but it's going to be fun to actually talk and write about 
basketball again. And one of the guys who we're going to be talking about for a long time coming, you know, barring any unexpected movement or something like that, is Devin Vassell, who on Monday, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported, signed a five-year, $135 million extension with $11 million additional dollars in unlikely incentives. The it is the it is the most lucrative contract in Spurs history, which is it, when you really view it in context and we see what all these NBA salaries and contracts look like these days. It's not exactly that shocking, considering the massive cap spikes that we've seen over the years. But it's still just when you say it in a vacuum, it, it sounds wild to hear Devin Vassell, highest paid Spur ever. Which contract did do you know which contract had the record before? Was it yeah, was it was whatever it was, was uh, previously? It was Lamarcus. It was the oh, it was yeah. the uh, Lamarcus deal. So his his um the extension that he signed after the original contract was uh something like twenty five million annually. I think it was only like a two year extension, I believe. But yeah, the the previous high was Lamarcus. The previous high, the the third highest was Kawhi. And then I kind of stopped looking after that, but uh, I might've been, might've been Duncan. I don't know. Uh, Devin could make $146 million off of this five-year deal. Tim Duncan made 242 million, his entire career. Manu Ginobili made 116 million over the course of 16 seasons. It's really, it really is wild to, to, uh, to see where the money has gone in the NBA, but where would you want to, or where would you like to start with this situation? Bruno, we could talk about the structure of it, which is, is I think interesting. We could talk about the incentives, which I always find interesting when I'm, I either learn about them or they're made available otherwise, because they kind of, they, they, they kind of point you toward like the Spurs line of thinking or whatever basketball team, their line of thinking for that player. Um, or, or we can talk about like the obvious, you know, commitment and confidence that they have in a guy who just played 38 games, who had a knee issue last year that they have been super quiet about. They never wanted to talk about it. They even got to the point where they were really tired, like put off being like, stop asking about the knee stuff. He's fine. And he was the same way. So I think there are a bunch of different interesting angles to tackle this from where would you like to start um yeah i mean you allude to the like point that you know as much of a win as it is for Devin, it might be a bigger win for you know your salary cap freaks who love to look at uh you know <laughs> the way deals are structured and the incentives and around that and so big win there but i think the, the the biggest takeaway is just that um this was shaping up to be a really big year for him you know health um assuming um, everything was okay with health. So um, I think it's it's just that. It's seeing the confidence from the team and it's seeing that that just adds more momentum to, um, a, you know, it, it should really be a great year for Devin. You know, this, the way the, the arrival of Wemby should only help him out. I'm really looking forward to, you know, what, what kind of chemistry they can kind of develop with, with a two-man game and just playing yep. off of each other and having what, you know, could shape up to be a, a true three-level uh, threat you know, alongside him and just to sort of uh, complement whatever the Spurs try and do to ease in Wemby and, and, and get him comfortable. I think um, it's, it's just, I think getting even more excited for 
what's to come. And uh, I think that that's that's probably where uh, things start. But but definitely also these uh, these fun incentives. It's always uncomfortable, I think, to kind of get this close of a look at somebody's compensation, even when it's yeah. got, uh, even when it's got like eight zeros behind it. Um, but uh, it's 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 fun for I think the reasons that you said. So um, you know what 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 do these specific incentives mean as far as you know what the spurs want him to be doing and 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 setting these as they, as they say unlikely um targets but targets nonetheless yeah so and, and just so we're clear like when a when a an incentive is listed as unlikely there's a the difference between likely incentives and unlikely incentives likely incentives are based on uh like a benchmark or a standard that they had previously hit so if they averaged whatever 22 points a game or 20 points a game or whatever the previous year a likely incentive would be okay average 22 next year and whenever an incentive is labeled as likely those are baked into their salary unlikely incentives are based are based on essentially nothing that no it, it's not based on any benchmark they had achieved prior and therefore has no and it doesn't have any cap implications so just real quick, that's the difference between when we say unlikely incentive, uh, that's what we mean. But in Devin's have, case, do you, do you, oh, do you have them in front of you? I was gonna make sure. Yeah, I do. I just I just pulled them up, cool. um, and I'm assuming they're the same for every uh, every year of the contract. But it, at least in year one, or they could change to yeah, they could change to likely in- incentives over the course of his contract. But regardless, here's how they start. He. Uh, would make an additional 543,000. This is year one again, where he could get potentially up to two and a, almost two and a half million dollars in incentives. 543,000 if he is a top 15 three point shooter in the regular season, three pointers made, not percentage. Mm-hmm. 543,000 uh, if his free throw attempt to field goal attempt ratio is greater than 0.25. So incentive to get to the line more which is what he's talked about the team has talked about it it's something they want him to do he's gotten bigger uh he got pretty big last year he's even bigger this year so tacking on muscle to be able to to attack the paint more uh 543,000 to if he makes point if he achieves 0.9 blocks per 36 minutes which is an interesting one because he does have that sort of weak side or chase down block stuff in him. It's actually one of the areas of his game defensively where he is most impactful, but I mean, that's a pretty significant number getting, I know it's per 36 and he's, he's not going to play 36 minutes a night. So we're talking about a guy averaging like 0.7 to 0.8. I'm not doing, I'm not doing the math. I'm not pulling it out, but like, 0.7 0.7 to 0.8 blocks per game, somewhere in that in that range. That's a lot. And then 543,000. I think this is for a round two appearance in the playoffs. Maybe I think that's what that means. And then uh, play 75% of the playoff games. Which you know, if you get to the playoffs, you obviously want that. And then the one that has the the smallest price tag attached to it, which I am guessing was I, I don't know which side negotiated this one but 217,000 if he makes an all NBA team. So that when that one is certainly uh, I 
don't want to make fun of the guy, but an all NBA team, that one's probably not happening, uh, at least not next year. But I just think that when you look at those in- incentives, you're like, okay, they want him to fire away from three. And he, this is something that's always kind of caught my attention with, with Devin. He'll, he'll go on these runs where it's like, man, Vassell just reeled off eight straight points in like a minute. And then he'll kind of go stand in a corner or do, or, or kind of go dormant. Like how many times have we seen him at whatever his, is his career high still 29 points? I think it might be, but he's got like 29 points in the third quarter. And then you don't hear from him the rest of the way. And I, I know that a lot of fans kind of look at that and say, they're not running plays for him. They're like, this pop is going away from him. All this stuff. The the Spurs system isn't built like that. Like if you are rolling, players have the agency to kind of keep things flowing and do what they want. I've just noticed a tendency for Devin to kind of shy away or to think like, okay, that's enough for me. Let me get my teammates involved. And then he kind of, I don't want to say mentally checks out, but he kind of takes himself out of that rhythm and never finds it again. So I found that one interesting. Then obviously the free throw, the free throw shooting stuff, he's got to get to the line more. That one's interesting to me. Anyway, these again, as you said, this stuff is for the nerds, but I, I love talking about this stuff. I love seeing little seeds planted for storylines at a later date, essentially. Is is there one that stands out to you as uh somewhat realistic like which one would you put at the top of, of your power rankings of uh we'll see maybe maybe Ooh. you could get that five hundred forty three thousand dollars. i don't know uh point yeah point two five free throw attempts to field goal attempt ratio if like if he's serious about getting to the rent he's been talking about this for a couple of years he started off strong in that capacity last year and it's hard to pinpoint exactly when the knee started really bothering him but he pretty quickly started to shy away from actually attacking the basket. That one seems attainable to me. He's he's got the skill set and sort of the the wiggle off the dribble once he's in the mid range, even in some isolation stuff. Like he has the ability to get to the rim. So that one seems attainable to me. If he's really doing the, if he's really engaged defensively. Like 0.9 blocks per 36 is steep, but he has that kind of stuff in his bag. Like I would love to go back. I I wish I would have thought about this before we started recording so I could pull it up. But, and I just don't want to do be doing a million things at once or at least more than I'm already, already doing as we're recording. But like, I'd love to see what Danny Green's blocks were for 36 minutes during, you know, for a lot of his Spurs career, but I'd like to see what it was at the, at the peak of his shot blocking. And then I think he, I think he definitely topped 0.9 a few times. 0.9 per 36. I think you're I think right. So. Yeah. Um. So I think that's, there are so many, there are so many dudes in the NBA who jack up three pointers. Like I feel like top 15 and three pointers made might be a little tough, especially for a team that does like to share the ball and, you know, isn't gonna give one guy 25 shots a night so i think the most likely would be the the free throw attempt to field goal attempt ratio and then the per 36 blocks just all nba team obviously i I can't see it 
Um, if that happens, you better, if, if, if he's on that sort of trajectory, lock in most improved player award on top of it. Um, and then I just can't see the round two playoff appearance, nor the 75% of playoff games played. It's just, that's, that's a couple of years away, which I'm guessing if they're included in the other years, like I said, I can't see, um, I don't know what the uh, like what year three, year four, year five incentives are. I, I would imagine they're mostly the same, but I don't think he's going to get to that incentive until later. Yeah, just real quick, Danny Green uh, hit point nine blocks per thirty six every season in San Antonio. Okay, uh, thank I you mean, for like, pulling that up. Like we like it's doable, uh, man. Yeah, well, like the Danny Green truther said, he was you know one of the best shot blocking uh, shooting guards um, you know of that of that span for sure. Sometimes people would say Dwayne Wade, but Danny. With the chase down blocks, um, just uh, it was real, amazing real. to watch. He's truly, truly good. Um, it was and, one yeah. of the funnier nights. One of the funnier nights. I think it was just this past season. Um, Jakob Pertle. They they announced it like during the game and everything. Jakob Jakob Pertle passing Danny Green on the Spurs all time blocks list was a was a funny evening. But sorry. That's go ahead. Cool. No. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe, maybe he'll get some of that Jaron Jackson home cooking when it comes to the, the stats as well. Um, oh, you get you get you get a few more generous, uh, you know, t- ticks in the box when, um, you know, you, maybe you get a hand on the ball when it's going up. Maybe not, not quite a mm-hmm. block, but not quite a steal. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if maybe he gets more, you know, if they have to choose between one or the other, they, they choose blocks. You know, I don't know. We'll see. Get a little, a little well, what's your what's your power here. ranking? What's your power ranking here? Like if you had to choose the, the most likely. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one. I think that's like, you know, that's within reach. I really like the free throw one because of what that could yeah. mean for, um, you know, the type of game he puts together. I think that you, yep. if you get a 0.25 ratio, that ends up being like something like maybe four and a half trips to the line, depending on how many attempts from the field he's going to get. So uh, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a tick up from, I think he's at like three last season, which um, it's meaningful, but uh that that can come from attacking the rim a bit more and drawing the right kind of contact but it can also come from you know uh the right kind of craft you know when you're attacking a defense and you know get, using those pump fakes and the, the kind of stuff that austin reeves is, was doing last year you know there, there's there's paths to it that are not necessarily putting a, a real physical toll on the body which is maybe something that uh a player with you know a, and the injury last season may not want to do. So um, I like that one just from an efficiency point of view, from, you know, what that might mean for the the caliber of player he becomes uh, a little bit more than say, uh, really jacking up those threes. But if he ends up with that one as well, that would also be good. Well, and I'm, I'm actually writing about some of this stuff with Devin right now. um, Or, you know, when I'm not podcasting or going to practices and all this stuff, but we're Devin Vassell article is coming out soon. And a lot of it is talking about like, the the way his game has sort of slowly morphed into the type of player that you would pay 146 million over five years or whatever 135 million guaranteed over five years and a big part of it, those are you know shot creators playmakers guys like that who not three and d guys and a big part of that i guess player profile that archetype are guys who get to the free throw line right so if you're talking about if you're talking about paying a guy this much money, you're you're essentially saying we believe that you can do this stuff. Not only that, but you should probably do this stuff. So that's kind of one angle where that that stands out to me as well. Yeah, yeah, and I, I one of my like kind of earlier interviews with uh, Spurs players was with Devin, and it was around the subject of like 
him wanting to really shirk the three and D label that kind of yeah. followed him around through the draft. Um, and I think it's safe to say that he's done that and it'll be interesting to see, yeah, where he goes from there. Um, one, one thing was, uh, again, he's, he wasn't too big on labels or comps, but he talked about how he would often get, um, Mikhail Bridges coming into the season. We saw, yeah. uh, what leaps, uh, Bridges took when he moved to, to Brooklyn. Um, yeah. you know, what, 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 how that changes with, um, you know, different kind of usage. Um, and Bridges, I think, uh, you see here last season, Three free throw attempts uh, in Phoenix last season. Moves to Brooklyn, averaged uh, over six and a half. Um, yeah, it's a big so, jump. You know, if you want to, if you want to ride that analog, um, it's it's definitely possible. Um, and uh, I think it, it it bodes well for yeah, you know, moving up that tier of and 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 that type of um, offensive threat and that much further away from being that three and D type of guy. And it's it's also you know I mean it's going to take at least a slight most likely i don't think he's gonna turn into cory mcgetty all of a sudden and get to the line 10 times a night but like it's gonna take at least some a, a bit of an uptick in usage uh mikhail you you bring up bridges like he certainly saw that when he got to when he got to brooklyn so it, it's probably gonna take some of that which considering Wemby's gonna be getting touches considering uh, Keldon is obviously still a, a big part of that group right now. Like it's going to be interesting to see how they balance this stuff, but I just sort of get the feeling that while this is still a growth year, st- all of that stuff, there's going to be an uptick in usage. And I think the Spurs would like to see him like grasp that, like take that role and run with it uh, the same way uh, someone like Keldon did last year, like really embrace everything that they're doing. So it'll, it'll be it. This, this season in general is going to have so many different angles and it's telling at this point that the Spurs feel he's worth that much money for as many years as they put on this. And that's the other thing is in the, in the past, in order to get, five years out of a player off the rookie extension, you had to give him the max. You don't have to do that anymore. So Devin was able to get this contract that is at five years. It is descending, meaning it's front loaded a little more than $29 million in 2024 for the 2024, 25 season. And then it descends to 27 million and then stays flat for a year at 27 million and then drops all the way down to, uh, about twenty four and a half million dollars in the during the, at the end of the uh, or no during the two thousand twenty seven twenty eight season, which is only fifteen percent estimated at least fifteen percent of the cap at that point. But the big the big deal there in that that low point in his salary structure is that will obviously the Spurs are hoping will be the first year of Wimbenyama's uh, rookie scale extension, and if he's anything like we think he's going to be. And if he stays healthy, that's going to be a big old chunky contract. So it'll give the Spurs a little bit of, um, you know, relief from a, from a cap perspective uh, during that fourth year of the deal. And then it jumps back up to 27 million during the uh, 2028, 29 season, his fifth year of the deal. And that's kind of like a, I guess, a, a little thank you at the end of the deal. And it also gives the Spurs a little more flexibility to, this is the most important part, 
it if if a veteran extension comes after that, it gives them the ability to offer more money to Devin. And depending on the length of the uh depending on the length of the you know extension, it that little difference going from twenty four and a half million to twenty seven million in the final year um would probably add easily eight figures on that extension. Uh and and that that matters. Uh in case y'all don't know, the veteran extension, you can max it out at 140% of the value of the final year of the previous contract. So that little jump up at the very end actually allows them to pay Devin Vassell more if and when it comes to it down the road. So a lot of fun stuff with this contract and um, not just the nerdy stuff, but also just the, the, like we said, the confidence that we're seeing from the team in, in this guy, in his health, in who he can be as a, as a pick and roll pairing with Wimbenyama as a floor spacer for this team, all the little things he can do. He showed some, uh, some improved playmaking chops last year. We've seen this slow incremental growth last year was kind of setting up to be a, a big year for him. They got cut short for him, unfortunately, but Clearly, it didn't really affect the way the Spurs viewed him. Yeah, and thank you for not just assuming that the Spurs are going to offer that uh, extension to Victor Wembanyama. I think we need to see him earn it, um, see if uh, they really want him back uh, after that rookie uh, contract is up. So, you know, let, let's see how things go, right? Make no assumptions mm-hmm. here. Um, but, yeah, it's like you said, and, and to the point of it, that that salary going back up in the, in the final year, it's it's sort of the reason why, we knew that the Spurs weren't going to be able to um, provide DeJounte Murray with the extension because that final year on his contract was so low, um, which was not necessarily right. the only reason why they traded him, but it was there's there was part of the calculus there. And uh, a similar reason why um, Jakob Pertl, uh, an extension wasn't really in the cards for him because of where his salary was at, right? So right. these things matter in, in, in different ways, and it's good for the, the Spurs to be thinking that far ahead and for, for salary, you know, for, for the, the, these structures to, to be able to accommodate for it. I wish I could have my salary front-loaded like NBA players do personally. Yeah. Don't know if I would, I'd use it well, but um, give me that cash in year one for sure. You know, I had someone tweet at me when I before the contract details came out. I said, it's likely going to be descending, and, and someone tweeted at me, um, Matthew, I would never descend your contract. And I just replied, look, if it's $146 million, I'll take whatever form of payment um, is easiest for you. So this stuff, it's it, you, you mentioned it earlier. It's always so weird. We're like staring deep into these dudes pockets, grabbing their wallets and opening it. And like the Spurs are posting pictures of him with a giant smile on his face, you know, signing this, this deal with his parents. I think it was his parents standing in the background. We, the money with all this stuff is so public, but it's, this is, this is the entertainment industry. This is, you know, these are public facing figures. So it's, the the money stuff is always some of the the biggest re- it always elicits some of the biggest reactions you know whenever whenever Woj or, or Shams tweets something out about a, a giant contract for a player that like at least 20% of the NBA watching community hasn't even heard of it's great it's really yeah. really fun to see these kind of dollar signs I'm, I'm sure the players would be uncomfortable with it if they weren't smiling from ear to ear from having just you know 
and been been uh, worked their way into generational wealth. So I'm, I'm, as 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 goofy as it is, I think we can probably also feel clear headed that it's not uh, making them too uncomfortable. You don't think they're like you don't think they're losing sleep at night. You you, you don't you don't think they're worried about what what we're podcasting about right now. Um. I mean, I'm sure they listen to every single small market bias podcast. Absolutely, there is. I'm sure they they Absolutely. like the comments and everything. But um, um, I, I think at the same time, they're they're probably a little at peace. It's not the same as if uh, you know, I uh, I got a promotion that I put on LinkedIn and people start unpacking in the comments, you know, about my compensation and and and, and incentives. That that would be interesting. Well, this was fun, Bruno. I, I, we've sort of been trying to make up things to talk about for like weeks really damn near since the the very Month. first podcast yeah really <laughs> like since say, the very first the literal first podcast the first small market bias podcast so it's 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 great to have basketball back it's very cool that it, the energy around this team and around the city really makes it feel like Spurs basketball is back even the, even though like people haven't really seen it yet and are dying to do so but it, it just it feels like all that energy is back people are happy again we're gonna have plenty to talk about until like man all the way through the season the the draft next year is probably going to be important again uh who knows how many picks they'll have in it maybe three so I just want to say, um, to, you know, to you and, you know, uh, if, if Trevor even listens to the podcast that he's not on, um, you know, we're we're set to to be going pretty strong here for, for the next eight or nine months, whatever it is. And then we'll hit the doldrums of summer again and try to figure out what the hell to talk about. But until then, we got plenty of content coming your way. So I hope you all enjoy Bruno. Thank you once again for coming on. And I guess I'll see you on Saturday. Are you going to be at the scrimmage? I'll be there, man. I'll see you there. Sweet. Sweet. Thanks for having me. Big community event coming up. Silver and yeah. silver and black scrimmage is back. Is it black and silver or silver and black? It doesn't matter. Silver and black. Even if it's black and silver. Yeah. But yeah, if you're, if you're at the event, you see Matt, be sure to say hello. You see me. No, absolutely. I'm going to wear a Groucho Marx mask and we'll see if that works. Um, this has been Small Market Bias brought to you by Bet Online. We'll talk to you all next time. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.